Welcome to Talking In Stations, an EVE Online podcast. Actually, it's probably more of a show now. Uh, we have a great show for you today because we have plenty of guests and plenty of analysis for you for the next hour, hour and a half. Uh, I am Matterall, your host, and I am joined today by Dirk McGurk. Hey, good morning. How's everybody doing? Artemis Alvosa. Howdy, howdy. Uh, and my buddy Tiberius Stargazer. Hey, good evening. How's everyone doing? As guests, and we'll get to them a bit later, uh, I will introduce uh, Billy uh, from Seventh Fleet, and that is Test. Garce Tyrell from No Mercy, and that is Triumvirate Alliance. And uh, we're also going to have uh, Brisk, um, who is a new CSM member, brand new, it's his first time being in CSM, and a former CSM member, Alexev. Uh, Alex Carday, uh, and you can uh, always listen to him on his podcast. And I, and I have a very funny mental block about it, but why don't you tell the name of your podcast? Declarations of War. Declarations of War. Yeah, it must be like a built-in bias that podcasters have for other podcasts. Like, they just—I can never remember that one. Uh, Declarations of War. Um, and also, we'll have a news wrap-up from uh, Hugh Kaiswak from the New Eden Report. All right. Lots to go over, uh, but first we want to go over some hard news stuff, and then later in the program we'll talk a little more about uh, CCP and the development pathway and CSM and how all that kind of relates. Uh, I think it'll be really interesting and really invite a lot of participation from uh, the live audience. We'll try to get them in there. Uh, so, Artemis, why don't you take us through uh, this uh, stuff's going on in the South? Yeah, a lot of stuff is going on in the South, and to sort of ground the discussion, Last time we had someone from Triumvirate on, it was as a result of the massive super capital massacre that happened while XIX was trying to evac from their space, which Triumvirate kicked them out of. So Garst is a guest today. Garst, could you sort of walk us through what has happened with Triumvirate and the groups which you are allied with since that massacre? Hey guys, thanks for having me back on the show. So I mean, really, since then, Tri's been focused on just really resting consolidation. We've been at war for about a year now, so we finally get the guys a chance to actually uh, set up our space, had a lot of citadels to kill, how to take down the faction citadels, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so we're basically been consolidating in Ismother and just really giving the guys opportunity to relax, roam, stuff like that. Gotcha. Now... There's a lot of fighting, skirmishing. People are putting headlines on Reddit saying that a big war is about to break out. Can you comment, like, what is bringing Triumvirate towards Immensia? Well, I mean, it's funny because we're not there, but people keep putting us in games like we are. Uh, well, I can tell you this. So after XX was kicked out of Insmother, they went into patch day with no solve, no outposts. They weren't even on the alliances list on Dotland because they lost everything. Um, so now, since they spent you know June 5th patch day as squatters in the former uh, FCON Keepstar and 4G, they've been also looking to kind of rest and rebuild. And now under the legacy umbrella, they want to try and take back some solve of their own. So obviously that's something that we're not a fan of and don't particularly want to see happen. Gotcha. So are you actively just going out to wherever XIX is trying to resettle and just saying no? Or is it more of they're just somewhere where it is convenient for you to attack and gain content? Like I said, we're still at home now, so that's only about a minute or two away. So it's pretty easy for us to get there and help out our allies down there. Interesting. 
Now, Vili, you're on the other side of this conflict. You're, it is, at least according to the flares, test guys who are posting saying that Triumvirate are invading Amencia and what is the region just to the south of Amencia? Tenerifus. So what is the what is this conflict brewing? What does it look like from the test legacy perspective? Well, I think it's pretty obvious at this point we have uh, Skill Yourself and Volta, who are part of the Holy League, who have come down from the south. We have Lumpy, who's already established in the Mentian, part of the Winter Coalition. We have Fraternity, who's already part of the Winter Coalition. And obviously, Triumvirate is taking a little bit of well-deserved rest in uh, Int's Mother, along with uh, Red Menace. And we're, we're just kind of, like, as soon as Skill Yourself and Volta move into uh, Yankee Tech Foxtrot in Amentia, which is kind of the Amentia Tenerifis uh, border system. We, we've been kind of we we moved from DEFCON three to de kind of DEFCON two. You know we're we're ready for what's kind of to come. Uh, obviously, Triumvirate is still taking their break. It's well deserved. They uh, they were in a long boxing match with XIX, and you know they bore a lot of the brunt of even still being on the winning side. So it's uh, for the situation right now in Amencia is very much I don't want to say a cold war because obviously there, there's already fires beginning to burn. But it's much more a situation where uh, everybody's expecting, you know, more action than there, there's going to be, I guess you could say. It's a very uh, peculiar kind of situation. There's both build-up, but not necessarily a reason for that build-up to uh, ignite. Interesting. So looking at the, the solve map in Amencia, we've got Fraternity, who is taking space right next to where Detroit is. And then we've got Siege Green has also begun taking some solve, and there are a few systems which are reinforced. Do you feel like this conflict is about solve? Is it about structures, like getting those new faction citadels on the kill board? What do you, the motivation for tests is a defensive one. What do you think the motivation is for the people who are attacking Amencia? Well, I can, I can tell you that when we have. There's, there's two coalitions forming in Immensity. There's one that's already there. There's DRF, which, again, left uh, Inns Mother and have been promised to their members, according to Kyrgios, uh, that he wants them to take Sov and Tenerifus. So that's going to come at the expense of uh, some of our semi-friends there, I guess. We've had, they're neutral, but they've been friendly-ish uh, against Tess in the past. And then also there's the new Red Noise coalition forming. And it, at first it seemed like that was going to be a lot more than it is. It turns out it's basically just 15 guys in Caracols and some small alliances that really aren't doing too much on their own. Uh, but for these groups to take to take Sov, it's obvious that it has to come at the expense of Tri's friends, both Lumpy and Fraternity, because frankly, the Sov is already owned by other legacy members and if they were going to do a soft transfer it would have already happened so that's a pretty clear indicator to me that if test is going to come in and basically take xx's solve and give give it to them it's going to have to come in the expense of somebody that tries work with has been friends with which gives us an opportunity to get in and really have a lot of fun down there as well so to recap here from tries perspective it seems like xix is looking to get their space back Test is looking to help them get their space back, and as a result, they're going to be hurting Try's friends. So Try, at least once they're done with their break, is going out to defend their allies. Is that uh, an accurate summary from your perspective, Garst? 
that's more or less the spirit of it. I mean, we have uh, Lumpy's been a friend of ours last year. Fraternity's been developing a friend of ours last year as well. They were with us against FCON also now with the reconquest of Inns Mother. So it wouldn't be fair if we didn't at least help them defend their space in return for their help. Vili, yeah. what's your uh, opinion on that perspective? I, I mean, it's mostly accurate. I mean, there's, you know, no question that we're expecting try to come down and assist people when it uh, when they can. Obviously, they tried to form even this morning to help uh, fraternity with their timer. Uh, there, there's obviously, you know, a situation where, you know, obviously try isn't beholden to these people, but you know, it, they've been friendly to them. I would see no reason for them to not come assist. And, and as far as you know, what, what Tess is doing, uh, we have, you know, the seventh estate, I guess they want to call themselves, and. Uh, XAX, uh, we're going to try and help uh, out our friends to try and take some space for them and see if uh, we can uh, help them, you know, get a little bit back on their feet. So th that's kind of how you get that conflict, I guess. Uh, can I interject here, Artemis, if you don't mind? I want to ask Garth, uh, what's the relationship between um, fraternity and you guys? Because it seemed like you guys were going to be they wanted to work with you to cover their time zone deficiencies and, and make you guys kind of a team, at least in the past, that was their wish. So fraternity is really interesting. I mean, they've been around on tranquility for a while, but with serenity, I'm not exactly sure what happened, closing down or as people deciding to leave it. There's been a big influx of Chinese and AU time zone players that have left from that server and started to play on TQ. And as you can imagine, there's not a ton of Chinese groups on TQ. So a lot of them naturally gravitated towards uh, fraternity and they've been really growing fast. So a lot of their members, um, I guess you can't, from what I've been told, you can't really pay for EVE with credit cards in China, so you have to kind of plex, which means you have to rat a lot. So they actually use up a lot of PVE space, and so that's been one of their bigger motivations is trying to uh, work with, try to get that PVE space to support their members for real-life reasons, just the fact that they can't play the game if they can't make the, the ISK, you know? Uh, and just beyond that, they have their own plans to grow as a coalition. And, yeah, it, it does complement uh, really anyone nicely. I mean, AU time zone is probably one of the hardest time zones to develop and play in the game. And since almost every other group in the game is EU-US, I mean, they would be a, a big compliment to literally anybody. Yeah, and, and for those that don't know, Fraternity is mostly Chinese, which I believe Artemis is right before Russian time zone or right after Russian time zone? I believe it's right before. Yeah. So skill yourself, Volta. We mentioned that they're coming down here as well. What are they just looking for another ratting target? What's it feel like they're doing down in the south? Well, they want to have fun. I mean, they want to go to shoot some shit. Poor Billy, he's got he's he's calling in remote, so he's a little harder to hear. Uh, but did you want to say something there? Well, I'll I'll correct one point in terms of what Garth just said there. Fraternity in the negative growth element now, as they've been for about the last three to four months, uh, they, they had a really giant surge about six to eight months ago, and they were translating that really well. And since they've kind of, you know, started their war with us, uh, just the last couple months, their, their numbers have been down significantly. I think they got hurt pretty hard uh, by the recent botting ban, as they're, they're well known for that. Uh, and now that Skill Yourself is here, obviously, as you say, you know, they're, they're looking for frags and Certainly, our, our objective with with uh, skill yourself is going to be to deny them that. That's just kind of what I was trying to hit on. Now, that's an interesting point you make about denying the frags. How do you go about doing that? 
smart, disciplined uh, play for the most part. Uh, you make sure that you're in a position to respond to them uh, attacking soft targets as best you can, which was partly what precipitated uh, the legacy restage to Delta Yankee Tech Papa. And at the same time, you don't give them the ability to uh, ha have those easy targets in range. So, so you, you know, you shut down some of the, the activities near them. You move a defensive force near them. And then you make a situation where if they want to go chase those targets, then they have to chase through you to a degree. So that gives you an opportunity to respond as well. Basically, you just make it as hard as you can. And uh, so far, we've been pretty successful. Does it... To what extent is Volta and Skill Yourself's attack, if we will, on your industrial backbone, like your Ratters, your Miners, your Rourke Pilots in particular? How does that affect your ability to deal with Fraternity and the other groups in Amencia who are not necessarily there just for frags, but actually there for either defending or gaining space? Not at all at this point. Uh, obviously, at some point, if you know they, if you know if they, you know, restaged into Stain or something, obviously, you know, it would change the way we deal with them we might restage to a different location etc but for, for the most part if you whatever position they're at we're going to change the way we are defensively setting ourselves up to be able to properly react to that and so at this, at this point it's not affecting us you know industrial at all uh we're now that we're back from providence we're you know getting our work save uh, uh habits back properly fine-tuned i guess you could say um, and trying to just get back in that proper rhythm. But so far, I wouldn't say they've had any real effect on our industrial capabilities at all. So, I mean, what's the bottom line here? Is it going to be a war or is it excursionary conflict? I mean, we've got two guys from opposing sides. You guys are at the center of the conflict. I don't think anybody outside of it knows if there's going to be a war. Do you guys know if there's going to be a war? So every war, like, doesn't start as a war unless it's one of those very rare occasions like the Fountain War where somebody says, I'm invading you, here we go. Or, you know, the Providence War, where I said, you know, which wasn't even really a war, where we say, we're taking these patients, here we go. It's yeah, or tri you get triumvirate, when they said, triumvirate when they said, we're going to kill FCON, do or die, and they called it out, and they did it, uh, and they're yeah, part of this equation. But with XAX, for example, you know, it was much more a situation where they chewed at them, and they chewed at them, and they chewed at them, and it wasn't really you know, decided that that was a war until, you know, they were basically dead, right? More often than not, entities choose not to declare open war because, you know, if you declare open war, then the, the stakes change a lot and the ability for your enemy to uh, call you out on things changes a lot as well. PLs kind of pioneered this where they go into a place and they never say they're there to do anything until, you know, they've effectively done whatever they're doing. Uh, so... Will it be a war? It's hard to say. Uh, if they feel like they have the momentum and the allies coming, then maybe it will turn into one. But my, my expectation is we will continue to see conflict and we will continue to see an increased amount of conflict over the coming months. Uh, if it'll turn into an open, hard war, hard to say. Uh, certainly both sides you know, want things to do, but neither side necessarily wants to put its dick in the grinder. So it, it's, a, it's hard to predict the future. Yeah, um, Garth, is that the way you see it as well? Well, I mean, I'll just say that I think Tri likes to take a lot of risks. I think we've proven that, especially in the past year. So we may be taking some risks in the future. I think any kind of war at this scale really runs the risk of escalating into something that's so blobby that 
you run into situations with a million dollar fight where people try and commit all the caps and stuff on grid it just can't the servers can't even handle it just because both sides are just trying so hard to win that they're going to baffle on groups and there's only so many groups out there and they're going to bring everything they got so blah 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 i mean goons are sitting right there next to test they've already brought goons over quite a few times so i mean we're talking about two of the largest coalitions in the game already already on grid together or trying to be um that's a factor as well so we'll see we'll see how it plays out i'm certainly so, not going to abandon our allies down there it's interesting that you bring up that goons have showed up to these timers can we quickly go through and do a recap of if we were to separate the groups who have been involved in this conflict into two sides who would you put on the side with we'll say triumvirate for the sake of this discussion on one side and then test on the other side who is with whom well, I can speak for Tri. Tri's allies haven't changed. It's the same people that we've been working with for the past year. So fraternity, uh, skill yourself, lumpy, groups like that, that really hasn't changed. Gotcha. So what about very, Siege Green? It's a very simple breakdown, re realistically. You have Legacy with some slight Imperium support in the background, and you have the Holy Winter trio on the other side with some you know, PanFam support in the background. There, there's really, it, it's a very divisional conflict. There, there's, everybody's on one side or the other for the most part. Yeah, what's interesting to me is that the larger, more static coalitions in the game, Goons, GOTG, PanFam, etc., they're very reactionary, whereas Try is very proactive. And so when Try is creating conflicts, those can escalate, even if it's not, even if we never went to, you know, sword or at least or something say hey come help there's still the opportunity for their fcs to see something going on and simply invite themselves in and pick one side or the other so that's that's one of the dangers that works like this to be fair though it's not like you guys didn't invite them to the uh keep star that we had anchored a week ago right so uh you yeah, know there's only like five thousand people on our keep star kill mail so i guess what goes around comes around billy well no but what i'm saying is that you know you just made the comment that you know oh we don't invite them they just show up and I'm saying is we know you directly invited them. So it's not, you know, as simple as perhaps that they just randomly show up. No one randomly shows up in this game. I mean, everyone has spies. Everyone knows the timers that get posted on Reddit. I mean, the fact that CCP put 10-day reinforced timers on Citadels means they basically want it to blob out as much as it is. So I can tell you personally as an FC, I have to force myself to bat phone. I really just don't even think about it that often. Um, that's probably one of the disadvantages of mine is I'm not that good at, you know, identifying times when I should have proactively called out other people to come help. Other FCs, not necessarily, you know, but Try does its own campaigns. We don't plan campaigns with expecting NCDOT or GUTG or something like that to come bail us out. Uh, chat doesn't seem very convinced of you saying that. Well, they're wrong. I mean, look at the last year's worth of actions. I mean, we've said exactly what we're going to do, and we did that. And all the delusional revisionist history doesn't change anything. Besides, our chat might be a little biased since we stream on INN. So I don't know what the composition of chat is, but... Well, that's uh, yeah. an interesting point to make, though, right? Because historically, or at least recently, the major division has been PanFam versus Imperium. That's We've seen conflicts around it with GOTG up in the north. The entire west side of the map has been shaped by it as of late. And if we're considering, if we're looking at groups that may dogpile into whatever war or conflict gets started down here, you don't have DRF anymore. They're effectively XIX, which is sitting on Legacy's couch. You've got the Imperium, who's already sided with Test. That leaves PanFam. And 
does anyone here see Panfam siding with Legacy and the Imperium? No, of course not. Because when you're looking at things from their perspective, their ultimate boogeyman is goons. So goons choosing a side already forces them. Even as a player, if you put 2,000 people on one side and 500 on the other, you know, if you dogpile onto the 2,000 side, you're not getting content, you're not getting a fight. So just obviously people are going to join, you know, the side they naturally gravitate to. Interesting. It, it also does lend credence to kind of the part of the problem of the game where, you know, for example, Skill Yourself and Volta, when, when they moved from the north, they had all the options. They weren't hard committed to either side. They could have, you know, had fun in Branch and Penal and all those areas, or they could have went to, you know, Geminid, et cetera. But they chose Amentia because, you know, par part of that crew is still has connections and friendships into Panfam, and, and, they, and they didn't want to lose uh, that group is an ally, uh, whether, you know, Imperium or Legacy or anyone would feel that they needed to help. Uh, they, they wanted to stay kind of on their side of the map, I guess you could say, friendships. Are you sure it's not just because Legacy had their super fleet deployed north and couldn't effectively defend them? Couldn't effectively defend who? The, the Ratters. Like, there were a number of comments going around that legacy was well there were a number of battle reports for that matter of members of legacy losing hundreds of billions of isk worth of rorks because you guys were up in providence taking over the stations and kicking pl out that's when skill yourself and volta moved down not after fraternity started invading immensia uh i think you got your timeline mixed up but for, correct uh, me then, in like last week like for skill yourself moved in saturday we moved to dy tech on monday and it's now next saturday let's um let's define our terms here moved in you're like staging their supers and things is what you're referring to yeah okay makes sense before that all they did was take wormholes from where the spire calvella i think they're at all right fair enough so this is going to be leading to a lot of conflict in the future no matter what way you slice it triumvirate they're still on break when they come off a break, they're going to be doing something. You guys, you don't like to sit around and twiddle your thumbs, as it were. So you're going somewhere. My money's on you're going over to help out your allies, as you've already mentioned you're inclined to do. No matter what, if you're looking to keep an eye on somewhere in Nullsec to look at big fights, maybe go join in on one if you want to, down south is where to look. But there are some other places that you may want to look for other things that are happening. And to fill us in on those, we've got Hugh. Oh, uh, thank you very much, Artemis. So, um, yeah, there have been a couple of things happening throughout the week, uh, which uh, haven't been in the South, um, which is maybe gratifying for people who uh, aren't fans of Legacy or Try. Um, so our first kind of news item there is um, uh, that Siege Green Snuffed Out had a capital fight in Estenuit, in essence. Someone can correct me on my Galente uh, pronunciation. That would be appreciated. Yeah, um, not here. <laughs> <laughs> so uh in that case what happened is it snuffed out reinforced five siege green uh structures um in shield and they returned to, they returned to finish the job for armor timers and uh three of these timers were reinforced without contest because siege green was preparing a trap in estinuit and they sprang the trap on snuffed out baiting out a snuffed dread bomb before dropping their own larger dreadnought force on snuffed out and causing pretty heavy casualties so the overall ISK lost was 65 billion by um, Siege Green versus 105 billion uh, lost by Snuffed Out. 
So that's kind of our first news item. Second one was just uh, got this in like five minutes ago from an NER guy in Galmil is the siege of Osix or Oix in um, kind of uh, faction warfare space has is over. Uh, it has fallen to the Glente militia. So that um, the overall siege, uh, 65.7 billion were lost on both sides with 2,422 ships. So it's pretty uh, extensive engagement across the entire week. Um, Galmil is now turning their eyes towards Iha, um, which is the home system of the block, which is one of Galmil's sort of largest alliances. Uh, so that's our sort of second news item. Um, thirdly, there has been ongoing sort of quiet war in Ethereum Reach between Proton Alliance and now Solar Fleet, and also Unspoken and Bow Down. Uh, and there was a bit of confusion, and this is kind of my fault in many ways, because um, uh, I reported that Solar Fleet was backstabbing Proton Alliance. That isn't actually true. Um, instead, they're just um, allying against the uh, Pro- sorry against Unspoken and Bow Down. So that's a region to keep your eye on, even as the drama plays out across Immensity, there is this ongoing scuffle in Ethereum Reach. So, yeah. Uh, and then uh, another kind of interesting point, um, which I'm sure Brisk Ruval can weigh in on, considering that um, I drew from his AR for this one, is the initiative uh, fought a pretty sharp action with CO2 when they dropped on a couple of uh, CO2 rock walls in uh, FI01 TAC8. Uh, CO2 brought in a couple of factors which were destroyed, and the Ferox fleet that was destroyed. Um, and the Imperium overall, because it was initiative and snuffed out in this effort, uh, lost 3 billion to CO2's 25 billion. And last, just a couple of things. Uh, Triumvirate seems to have lost four faction Fortazars, not to an attack, but rather to uh, code in uh, high sec. So, you know, that's uh, unfortunate for them. And lastly, uh, Nosek Nishalupin managed to uh, bait out a Vendetta faction supercarrier in Great Wildlands and kill it, which was, you know, pretty good of them. So yeah, that, that's kind of overall new summary that I have seen anyway. Right. Um, so I want to say thanks very much, Artemis, for running that segment and uh, running us into the news here. And <clears throat> also want to say, Garth, thanks for showing up with Billy. Appreciate both you guys uh, being here. Uh, do you guys have any final comments about um, what we've talked about or what was just reported? No, I just appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk to you guys. It was a pleasure to be here again. I'll talk to you guys later. Anytime. You're a great uh, guest. Uh, give us a bunch of news, and uh, you have a great mic and speaking voice. I almost feel like saluting you. Are you in the military? I was formerly, yeah. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. And Vili, from, uh, from being remote, super appreciate you uh, being available. That's great. Really appreciate it. Okay. You are <laughs> <laughs> he's playing he's playing the role of a robot because he's we told him he sounded like a robot earlier uh that's awesome all right uh it's <clears throat> so thank you guys very much we'll see you again on this show for sure let's move on we're going to talk about something a little more abstract uh that's the hard news that's out there really that's where the conflict is right now um there is conflict all over the place but that's kind of where the larger theme is uh, and speaking of larger themes we're going to now move into talking about CSM. Um, first, a little bit of a program note. I was gone for two, three weeks, um, and Artemis was good enough to fill in and did an amazing job of running this show, uh, keeping it disciplined and moving topics to topics. So thanks a lot for doing all that. 
And uh, so what we'll do is, um, uh, what I wanted to do was talk about CSM since we did all those interviews, right? So uh, Talking In Stations decided to do interviews last year. What that amounted to was sitting here uh, for a week and a half and just saying, we have an open, open slots come in, CSM people, and we'll record a 20 minute interview and put it out there. And last time we did uh, some, you know, 28, 29, this year we did about 20. Uh, so we've done it two years in a row and that allows us to get to know people who are running for CSM and stuff. And so when we look at it and people um, were elected, there was kind of like when they were elected, there were no surprises. But when they were running, it seemed like an open field, like nobody knew what was going to happen. But there's like two key incidents. I think one was a um, creature was downed by a PL torpedo. Uh, so the test, uh, which is a large voting block, would have had a member on there named Creature. Uh, but something came out that was unfortunate about his past and things that he'd said in a dialogue uh, box inside of the game that allowed him to uh, get disqualified by CCP. And all those votes went to Jinton. And another thing that happened was that uh, Gobbins, who's the leader of Horde, um, basically said, no, we want one candidate, not two. Uh, so he said, uh, you'll run for us to one guy. And he told uh, a popular streamer named Evren, you'll run next time. And uh, what happened was the guy that was running was disqualified again by CCP or by some other mishap. Uh, and so they Horde lost their candidate. So that huge voting block went to uh, Killaby and Sort Dragon. So at the end of it, you look back on it and you think like, yeah, well, all these people make sense. Um, uh, but it was really not, we didn't really know who was going to win. So I'm going to open this session up to everybody. Um, let's talk about the composition of CSM and how it's going to affect the game. Anybody have any strong opinions besides me about this? Well, what I, what I say is, if you look at the numbers, uh, anything, any one. Oh, thing wait, could wait, be, brisk. Sorry, uh, I'm sorry. There's one thing, one anomaly, and that was that you came out of nowhere and put together a great <laughs> campaign. And you got your, I really feel like you got yourself on the CSM, like nobody else has done in the past, who's said, I'm just my first year, I'm just going to try it. Second year, I'm trying a little harder and trying to get my articles out on papers and they work all year long. And you came out and you just kind of put yourself on CSM. Well, I, one, of the, one of the things I mentioned to my guys and I said to everybody before they conned me into doing this was, if I do this, I'm going to do it 100%. There's not going to be any pussyfooting around. I'm not going to say, oh, I'm the new guy. I'm going to come in and I'm going to do it like I would a real campaign. And that's what I did. And I think people appreciated that. It was something that had the virtue of never having been tried before. So it got people interested. Um, but I think if you look at the, at, the, at the larger way that the things worked out this time, and you, you nailed it on when, when you did the run through, uh, without, without the issue with Creature getting removed, he would have been on the CSF. That would have, you would have seen Judge not make it so little tiny things and hordes vote almost all of hordes vote went to went to gotg so little tiny things like that like somebody not getting their passport in on time or or not getting qualified to get on the ballot as well as stuff that happens in the middle of election season can have pretty pretty lasting impacts on how things played out and i think any any one of those things changing would have resulted in a different uh csm this time around and maybe imperium would not have done as well as we did uh but frankly, as, as Noisy wrote in his article the other day, you can't, you really can't uh, discount 
the power of the Imperium ballot and the number of folks that they actually get out and turn out to vote. And that's how you win elections. You got to get the votes and they do it. Yeah, it's, it's, for me, that's the biggest thing that jumps out every time people complain about a CSM election results in one way or another. There's too many of one group, uh, too few of another group, the wrong mix of play styles, uh, whatever that person defines that as. Uh, but Brisk is right. It's about the votes. The CSM represents the engaged player base that will go out there and turn out for the people they care about and the issues they care about. And Imperium, uh, for years of planning and a lot of cultural reasons, just has that group. They really care about the CSM. They really want to see their guys get on. And not just leadership, they're line members. And they will go out there and they will vote. Um, now, Alec, you're a former see that CSM, kind of representation right? elsewhere. Now, I should have introduced you as former CSM. I don't know if I did, but so you have some experience with this. What yeah, was your... I, I've never been on like a major alliance ballot. When I got elected, we didn't have transferable vote. Um, so it was like you, you had your, your folks supporting you, and that was that was it. Certainly the case for CSM4. I forget a seven if we had transferable votes or not at that point. I don't think that we did. How did you get um, on? Who, who, was your, who supported you to get on if you didn't have a block? All my declarations of war fans. Thank you, guys. <laughs> well, there was that. What was the last CSM you were on, Alec? I was on CSM 7. So the way okay. my campaigns worked um, the first time around, I campaigned on uh, podcasts. I campaigned on, honestly, a lot of former clients from NAR. We were a mercenary corporation and worked for a lot of big name guys. And I, you know, reached out. And if nothing else, they would agree to like at least forward on a link or forward on um a vote pitch, especially if they didn't have candidates of their own. And I also did a little legwork and talked to a lot of small alliances, guys that I knew held sob but were really tiny, uh, guys that might have wanted to, some low sec alliances, some of the other empire mercs, um, and just kind of hit them up with like, hey, I'm, I'm a candidate that represents you. We're a small group. We've worked for big guys. We've worked for small guys. Uh, we've held small patches of Sav. That was like a little bit later, uh, my round two campaign. But it was a lot of legwork of like building a, a coalition of voters between people that knew me and, and people that knew a certain perspective of Eve that I could get energized about having their perspective represented. But it was not easy, especially because I didn't have that big backing. And freaking hard. You got to go out there and press the flesh. And, that, and that's that's really the thing. And I'll, you know, to back up what Alex is saying, um, I appreciate the fact that I was on the Imperium ballot. I, I'm very thankful that I was on the Imperium ballot. I did not need the Imperium ballot to win. I mean, if you no. look at the numbers, well, I you won, needed, you needed elements. Sorry, you needed elements of the Imperium, which was your base of. Support. I needed my base of support. My base of support, which was Initiative and and our renters and our and our uh, our, our our JV uh, Alliance. Uh, those are the guys, but those are the guys that knew me because they were flying with me every day. They were talking to me every day. They were in comps with me every day. They saw that I play the game every day and that I like playing the game and that and that I'm visible. And that's why they voted for me, not out of any you know, loyalty to Init. Uh, we've had Init members before, Malkanis and, and others have, have been on CSM. So it wasn't like this was a big deal for Init to finally get somebody on board. They did it because they liked me. And that was, that, a lot of that was just me being around. And I, and I think 
if you look at, if, if you are somebody who's out there who wants to run for CSM, um, if you have a good story and you're visible and you're fun and you try hard and you work at it and you do it, it's not, it's not outside the realm of possibility to get elected, but it's going to take work and you got to treat it like it's something real, which is everything that we did. I mean, I had a whole team of guys working with me. It wasn't just me. I couldn't have done this on my own. Uh, and, and nobody that gets elected in real life could say the same thing. So, uh, to a certain extent, I, I love the fact that that I'm part of the Imperium. I've had more fun with these guys than anybody else. Matani, Boat, all those guys are great. They're fun. They're, they're great guys to talk to. Uh, but what I have been trying to tell everybody outside of, of the game and, and, and around is that I consider myself having been elected by the entire server. So I am not going to be just a NullSec guy or just a PvP guy because that's not that's not who elected me and that's not who I represent even if, even if it did. I have to represent the entire game because that's the population that the CSM is supposed to be representative of. And that I think leads into to Matterall's concern about the fact that there are so many NullSec guys on the CSM this time. And I think that's fair, but at least I want everybody to know there's at least one person out there who's actively going out and trying to talk to groups all across New Eden, regardless of play style, to make sure that they feel like they're being represented at the very least that they're being heard. Yeah, and, uh, and there is that element. Yeah, yeah, there is that element of it, right? That that uh, the people that are there are not all homogenous in either their play styles. Or, however, the back, the perception of the null sec background, right, is sort of what it is. And in a way, the perception kind of comes down to sort of a tyranny of the majority sort of thing, right? That the majority may come from this place, but don't worry, everyone else. We are in fact looking out for your interests as well, right? Well, I think one thing that people don't quite understand, at least. I, I think they understand it at some level, but it, it doesn't often come to the surface of these kinds of conversations. It's like, if there is a issue that the CSM needs to get brought in on, they're not going, oh, let's bring the low-sec issue to the low-sec guy and the null-sec issue to the null-sec guy. It, the group takes on everything sort of at the same time. And everybody's got different backgrounds, even if they end up in a wormhole or end up in null-sec. Uh, you know, everybody's got a path that got them there. Everybody's got some idea of how whatever we're talking about is going to impact what they're doing right now. People have an idea, especially at this level, how the game works generally and can maybe not with intimate knowledge if they don't play it every day, but, you know, they can make some educated guesses about how a certain thing might play out based on their knowledge of EVE behavior generally. And worst case scenario, you know, they've got a network of support like Brisk may not understand everything about the game, but I, I bet you he knows a few people he would talk to if something came up about a certain aspect of industry. Or if he doesn't, I bet you because he got up to this level that he would know how to find who that person is. Who do I need to talk to about this to understand that issue? You, know, you don't get to that level of the game without having that understanding or yeah. having a super huge pile of support for other reasons. But most of the folks that get up there um, with few exceptions in CSM history, you're actually pretty good about that kind of thing. So Tiberius, oh, sorry, let me. I'm going to cut you off, Alexis. Go ahead, Tiberius. Yeah, and I think, I think the results that we see this year are very indicative of some of the changes that come into the game over the last couple of years. So beforehand, you know, you had people like Sugar Carl on that would, uh, you know, go and campaign amongst the low set groups, and I think with the changes, certainly in the Moon changes. Uh, you know, some of these political 
affiliations that these low sec groups and things had have shifted quite dramatically. Like, um, you know, stuffed out becoming part of the Ethereum. Um, if you asked me they were going to do that, like, uh, you know, three years ago, I probably would have said that. Probably no chance in hell. Um, but with all the changes coming up, worked together with the Imperium, and then they became part of the Imperium. And in this this year's, um, you know, previous years, we had sort of 60, 70, 80 candidates. Um, this year, we had sort of somewhere less than 50 uh, off the top of my head. 47, yeah. So the, 47. So the variety of candidates coming out, but the big thing that really struck me from the list um, is there weren't any real big campaigners like the sugar cars of the past who would go out and campaign purely for low sec. And at the same time, with all these big political affiliations having changed, it was probably a lot more difficult for the smaller groups um, to build up that support. And I think that's probably where a lot of this has changed and while we're seeing so much of it. And the Imperium, without a shadow of a doubt, holds the single largest voting block in the game, full stop. And that's what we've seen the result for. Which has always generally been the case. I mean, because when you know, when you go back to when you go back to CSM seven, I believe it was when the Matani first went on, right? And he scored over ten thousand votes, right? Uh, you know, first and only person I think to ever break that kind of you know, level, right? I mean, obviously the votes are kind of uh, are kind of there. And I do want to go back to this idea of of you know how this is driven by engaged people out there, engaged players, right? Because it's more than just engaged; it is engaged and organized because there can be a a plethora just a mass of people out there right who who are engaged enough to vote but don't do it in such a way that is effective all very real world right i mean you know in the united states the green party and the libertarians ain't never going to get anybody elected to anything of consequence because they are small and you know other independents are fragmented and all of that sort of thing right when you have the organization behind it and that motivation to go out there and vote to win, that is what's going to be the differentiating factor. You're going to get guys like Brisk that are going to go out there and they're going to do kind of genuine campaigns to get their name recognition out there and put themselves forth as somebody that perhaps independents out there want to vote for as well as his base in the initiative, as well as where he fell on the goon ballot and things like that, right? But most of the people that run for the election in this, you know, in you know, for CSM, they're not willing to put the legwork in. I'm not even sure why they put their name up if they're not willing to put in some semblance of legwork. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, Derek. Agree. I, I don't understand how. I mean, some of these guys. I did my best. I listened to every podcast. I listened to every interview that that Matterall did. They were great. And I'll tell you right now, if you haven't, if you want to listen to one, don't listen to mine. Go listen to Sword Dragons. That one was amazing. It was one of the best ones I've ever heard. And it was just interesting history. But getting back to my point, um, they put up, they, they don't even put up a campaign post. They put their name in the, in the ring and then you never hear from them again. And I, I, I just don't understand that. Because uh, well, it I, seems I like it doesn't matter. I'm right? sorry. It seems like it doesn't matter. Like there's, they're already, mm, uh, the ballots of four or five alliances are kind of already going to dictate at least five or six positions, maybe in this case, seven. Although I don't think that's the case. It's probably like six. So you're really only fighting for four spots if you're somebody who wants to do this without the backing of a pretty high slot on a ballot. So why would you put in a bunch of work uh, doing the circuit? I don't know if the shows did you much good. I think people got to know you a little bit on it and saw that you're very well-spoken and you nobody can tie a tie like you can. Uh, He's the best suitor. Your commercial is what put you over the top on Reddit. Right. Like that's, uh, that's it. I know. 
Yeah. But, but here's what, the thing. What, what, what is the difference? Who couldn't do that? I mean, if you if you want to do it, I mean, look, other people did commercials, but if you want to make a name out there, put stuff out there, you can do it. It just. I, yeah. I think you had a. I think you above. had that great gimmick, but then you also, when people actually heard you speak about something, it's like, oh, he has substance, and so then they could say, I'm gonna. I like this guy because I like his sense of humor, but he's got substance too, so I can feel good about this, and that's how you got yourself on there. That's my impression. The of it. style is what made people pay attention to him but when he actually did tune in there's a lot there you know i i invited him onto declarations of work for our csm panel and the like you mentioned the the commercial on reddit's what caught my eye but brisk got on the show and really delivered sounded absolutely crisp had shown that he really thought things through and you know when it came down to it i was like yeah he is one of the best candidates i, I like field, to think based on what he said I like to agree with the CS shuffle here that says Brisk got the matter all bump. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> Let's just face it. It's the matter all bump. Um, I, I want to real quick before we move on, go back to something Dirk said about organization. That is largely true, but I think it's important to point out for historical context that the STV system has drastically reduced the organizational power of large groups compared to, oh, yes. Oh yeah, it, it literally has not. It has no. literally exacerbated it further because now you no longer have. So again, if if the if the Imperium if, if the goons wanted to get a candidate or two on there, right, they are going to have to risk splitting their vote under a first past the post system, resulting in massive overvote. Number one, that their number one choice is going to get massive overvote. All those votes lost. It now by allowing the trickle down effect to happen. This is what this is where you can pull to pull three possibly especially in an election where you have got uh, um, bigger voter turnout, uh, voter turnout climbing on their side while also declining elsewhere. I think that's nice in theory, but in practice, they had enough statistics and enough planning and enough election modeling that they were able to reduce the overvote risk drastically. Meanwhile, no one else in the game could match that level of organization. So all CCP has really done is give that same level of planning to every other coalition, every other alliance, and every other small candidate who now doesn't have to worry about being number one on a million people's ballots. If you're number two on a million people's ballots, you actually can do okay. Like that, that hmm. filter down can help you if you broaden your base beyond that niche. And I think uh, that actually helps a cool. campaigner because you can look at being maybe a smaller member of a coalition's ballot somehow, or maybe form a coalition of candidates that each have maybe your own people voting you as number one, but maybe they share a number two or share a number three, such that their votes aren't being wasted. Right now, there is no wasted vote. I'm gonna break up the uh, strategy talk because this is going to be something that we do offline for 20 minutes and talk about the voting thing. I know that Sullen does it every time he loses an election. Uh, so it comes up like, well, it does this work? It doesn't it work and that sort of stuff. Um, but what I wanted to get to is not necessarily how you get on and what's fair and what's not fair. Um, these guys got on, they deserve to be there. I think there was a lot of complaining, right? What were some of the complaints that we heard about this CSM? I'll take five goons. They're five goons. Yeah. Oh my God. They're five goons. They're five goons of seven on their ballot, right? They they basically got most of their ballot on there. It was a coincidence yeah. that it was crossover, but it looks like they got most of their ballot, which gives them an extra huff of like, yeah, we got some clout here. Um, but you also have um you know basically null sec, right? That's another thing. It's oh, it's just null sec guys, except one guy uh who always seems to be the default. Like 
is Steve sucking up all that anti nullsec energy like into that one person? Is that where it's going? Um, and the other thing is, uh, w when I look at it, and this is the reason that I I could say concern is one way of putting it. Uh, I, I'm thinking, okay, all these guys are smart. All these guys are diversified as far as gameplay. Again, the best high sec candidate that's ever been there, in my opinion, is probably Aerith, because Aerith is talking about stuff that affects high sec, and he's an incredible. Uh, game visionary about what parts go uh, and influence other parts of the game. And he is interested, just like all the goons are, and just like anybody in Nullsec, in protecting the game that they're invested into. So there's no, we're going to take this game and we're going to make it our game. Because if that happens, the game falls apart and they lose, you know, the I, uh, their ride. That argument, it just, it doesn't hold up though, Matt because you can't go back in time and say that the CSMs of the past did not also have very intelligent people, people with well-rounded histories and gameplay, people who cared about the survivability of the game. But we can verifiably say, like, even Sugar Kyle's motivation for running for the CSM, as she outlined in this series of articles she published in October of last year, I'd highly recommend reading them, but it was explicitly because a change happened to the game, which hurt the play style, which Sugar Kyle was interested in playing it sugar Kyle, the people that sugar Kyle played with it hurt their gameplay and it slipped past the entire csm and sugar kyle isn't the only example of this so i think that simply saying that the nullsec guys are intelligent that they have a wide variety of gameplay that they're interested in the health of the game that's not enough you can't just have people from nullsec interested in other areas you have to have the people boots on the ground in those other areas giving their feedback because otherwise things slip through the cracks and not everyone can be Sugar Kyle. Not everyone can realize, hey, I need to be the one stepping up to take action. I just can't sit back and be butthurt about it. No, you're you're right. And I, I didn't mean to make it seem like having a null sex CSM is gonna be like the best thing ever. I, I just mean to say that it's not it's not Armageddon, like the CSM will not cease to function effectively because we don't have a representative from every play style. But yes, Artemis is correct, there are risks. Well, this is stuff gets through where people don't quite understand with the level of native understanding that we needed to Artemis, figure uh, stuff out. Thank you for striking out at the straw man because uh, I put it up and say I'm not really interested. I'm not really concerned about goons being on there at Nullsec. I'm not really concerned about um, Nullsec being on there uh, and stuff because I think they can think broadly. However, I am concerned about confirmation bias. So in CCP, who's main developers that we see, the public season talks about are CCP Fozzy, a former PVPer. Um, of course, he wouldn't consider himself a gamer anymore. He's been a developer for far too long to be considered the PL guy, but that's where he came from. And it was small gang. And you had CCP Rise, who was killed too, who was uh, one of the first broadcasters to show you how to PVP solo. Uh, and then you also have Larrikin, and Larrikin comes out of um, uh, Australian Corp VDD in uh, Northern Coalition, and he was a big FC in the Fountain War, super caps, that was his thing. And these guys are all PVPers. Um, and so what I'm thinking is you have that as development team that we kind of look at, and then you have a CSM that comes in, and most of them, even uh, Brisk over here, who's mild-mannered guy, can talk about many subjects, wants to represent other people's opinions, but what are his initial biases about Eve that are coming into it. And I think the CSM is painted with initial confirmation bias that PVP is the most important thing in this game or that that is, you know, I think, you know, 80% of the game. 
So what happens when CCP says, well, we have this, oh, and the, C, the CCP developers, a Terbium and Nogwell that are gone, when those guys you know, come out and say, we're going to do a mini game based around scanning for eggs that drifters left behind or something like that. What do you think the CSM is going to say to something like that? I can tell you what I'm going to say. So, okay, great. That's, that's fine. Uh, you know, uh, if that, if they're, if they think that they're, that they've got information or at least they have an idea that that is that adding that is going to be something that retains players and that keeps them playing Eve or brings new players in, then go for it, you know? But I, what I would also say is make sure that that's not the only thing you're doing and that that's not sucking up all the production time because there are other things that, that will impact a larger percentage of the player base that also need to be taken in. Uh, but at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, yes, PvP is a, is a very important part of it, but it's not the whole thing. And there are a lot of people who will play the game and play it for years and enjoy it and have a great time and tell their friends to come play it that will never fire a shot in anger. That they will, they will be miners. They will do scanning. They will do exploration. They will just like to sit and look at the beautiful pictures in space, uh, and they'll never actually get involved in it. And that's okay. Yeah. As long as they're subbing their accounts, who cares what they do right. in the game? No lie. Yeah. What, I, go ahead, Tiberius. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally agree with this. And I think, yeah, okay, we've got a CSM that's elected by people that engage in a wide variety of things, but mostly it's PvP and in NullSec and the surrounding areas. I get, I get the understanding of the bias. But I also don't believe that CCP is that naive not to consider. They have the raw data. They can see what people do in the game every day. Like the, the, the servers contain you know, trillions of gigabytes worth of data that show what people do. And before CCP even looks at even implementing something, they look at what people do in the game because it's an important metric for them to go and to build a foundation of an idea on because they have to go to their internal people and they have to say, well, we want to develop, put time aside to develop this part of the game you see a lot of people do this and you see it's affected by a lot of people so this is what we want to do and this is what we want to change um they know there's a whole high sec community out there they know there's a low sec community out there and they know there's the null sec community it's not high sec low sec null sec i don't think it cuts that way yeah, it's not. We I don't, think people we don't know exactly things. how it cuts. Okay, yeah. and, that, and that's one of the problems why when people uh, when people see outcomes of, of of either this election or any of the past elections since we began having what were nullsec, you know, quote unquote nullsec dominated CSMs, right? As well, how could you do it a different way where there's proper representation? What would be proper representation is something nobody has effectively come up with yet because there'd always be somebody left out in some way or another. But you know, I do want to say this, that that I think in a way, and it's always this around this time of year um, that or not this you know, around CSM election time. Right. You know, is the fact that we give a little bit too much credit to kind of really what the CSM does. CCP still has their yeah. own vision for where the game is. OK, CSM is is a feedback mechanism for them. OK, not to say that CSM can't potentially help to drive some things or maybe even initiate ideas in some way. Um, but. I do believe that CCP recognizes what the inherent biases are of the people that we elect and send to them as, you know, as this group of 10 people, right? Uh, all, all individuals, by the way. Uh, I think they recognize what that is. And I think that CCP also has its ear open in other places out there. Let's not think for a moment that this is a group that is driving CCP's vision and, and therefore, you know, um, um, 
either making everything better or everything worse in some way. They don't have that level of power. Just And you can hear that from people like Aerith and whatnot, where they talk about, look, we told CCP, maybe this isn't a good idea. And guess what? They still went ahead with it. Or guess what? They still put it out to the public uh, for discussion and things like that, right? So they don't have some sort of ultimate control. They don't have voice. They don't have veto power. Now, the way it would play out and at least back in my day would be like ccp wants to do the thing we tell them what issues to expect like oh, either with the feature or with the player's reactions to it like oh well if you're gonna do this uh, you might need a numbers tweak here because that's gonna break x y or z and if you put it out to the players you can expect probably some mixed reactions some folks that feel this way are probably going to say this folks that feel this way are probably going to say this so that way they're better prepared for those conversations when they launch it. But Dirk is right. There is no yes, no, uh, we, we're not going to let this happen kind of thing. It just doesn't work that way. Our friend here, Voltez from Voltels from uh, chat says, uh, is anyone driving CCP's vision? I think that's a, it's a good question in that the executive producer of CCP's uh, or Eve Online has actually left the company. And so the, uh, at the same time, the CEO of the entire company, Hilmar, is back. Everybody knows Hilmar. He's kind of one of the vision. He's vision back. He's back. He's back active, right? Let's not say that he's driving. Maybe he is. He was never part, gone. Maybe he is driving part of the vision. Okay, word is an executive producer was picked over mm -hmm. two months ago. So there is a replacement. It just hasn't been announced yet. Um, I, I, look, I think when you look at things like Abyssal Space, Abyssal Space did not originate from the CSM, right? Uh, it originated from something internally in, in CCP. And to go back to this idea of PVP bias, remember that the that the devs that we tend to hear from, okay, obviously you can sit there and say that that the CSM, perhaps they all come from places or mostly come from places that, that have a PVP bent to it, right? So maybe you think in your mind that that's where their bias lies, okay? Um, the people that we tend to see from CCP as frontline devs, all tend to be these, you know, you know, PVP, you know, types, or maybe you've got Hilmar on, you know, on stage saying, you know, destroy, 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 or whatever, right? But there are a plethora of other devs within, uh, and I think I've used that terrible word plethora twice in the show, but, uh, you know, you know, it, it, there is a, you know, a veritable cornucopia of other devs within, um, you know, within CCP that are not that, you know, that are not coming from that vein, right? And I think that maybe abyssal space is you know, sort of one of those things where you can see a vision playing out internally that was about PVE and about, you know, updating this thing in spite of the fact that maybe there wasn't, uh, you know, a known high sec rep standing up on the CSM and going, fix your damn PVE. They've been doing that for a while now, right? So that's coming from somewhere. Yeah. Any of us who play the game, we know the PVE sucks. I mean, it, it, you can be a hardcore PVP -er, and they're part of the reason why you're doing it is because there's nothing else to do. I mean, well, wait a minute. It comes down to it. PVE means different things for different people and it yeah. crosses the entire I mean, game, right? And that's why guys, that's why guys that can see the interrelationships in Eve, okay, and I'm gonna I'm gonna throw Eris' name out there as one of those people, okay, that they recognize the interrelationships that take place in this game and why you've got to have all of these different moving parts and how they work together. And I think that they do provide good feedback for for CCP. But if you're the casual person, let's say playing in high sec or or whatever, right, you may not see it as that person represents me. And therefore, you become apathetic about this thing that, you know, that is the CSM. Well, if you were, if you were ever paying attention in the first place, I mean, no, part of the issue, a yeah. lot, of, a lot of casual players, they're not, they're not the ones that are watching this podcast. They're not the ones that are that are going deeper and going on the forums right. and going on Reddit. 
and and going to Eve Fan Fest. They're just guys that log in and play, and they're not going to so, care one way or the other because their, their philosophy generally is going to be it's just one of the many games that I play, and that's it. Tiberius that's touched okay, on but... this. CCP's got the data. Um, there's a vast, vast chunk of players that do nothing but like mission and mine and high sec, and they love that. But like Chris mentioned, they're not engaged players. They're not. They're probably not even convoying people. To them, Eve is literally just agents and the mission, and that's it. Maybe they don't even realize that they're putting up loot on the market against other players. Maybe they're not even putting loot up on the market. That's just all they do. And that's fine. That's what pays a lot of the bills at, at CCP headquarters. But they're never going to be players with the depth of understanding to know how a change is going to impact the game. They don't know what changes are impacting the game. No. They probably don't even read the patch notes or you, care. You can see it in like the, it's just not important to them. You can see it in the lag on the market, right? It takes like you, you call out something's going to happen, and it and it's uh, it doesn't happen for a little while. There's a whole like week to weekend lag, and then two weeks later, then you start seeing something start going up. Uh, even when the word's been out, you know, Plex is going to go up or something. You don't see that for like a week and a half because people don't really kind of feel it. Because they're not watching these shows, they're not participating in the extra Eve part. Uh, Tiberius, I cut you off. Sorry. No, I mean uh, I was just going to say, and you know, do you remember a few years back we were doing some research on where people live in Eve, um, and we found, like much to our surprise, a vast majority of players uh, that subscribe into Eve have one account, and they log in in the high sec, and they log off, and that's it. We don't know if those are actually overlapped, like you one account and in high sec. Could be a lot of one accounts in null sec. Could be a lot of high secs that have 10 That's accounts. True. But those um, were the sure. stats, yeah. But, and, while... but an interesting thing is PVP seems to be what drives the retention. That's what a lot of yeah. CCP's data also shows, that if you get blown up it? or blow up another player early in your game, you stay you get shot at, not blown up. That was the distinction of Excuse me, yeah. shot at. Yes, I'm sure it feels good. Because it gets the adrenaline going, right? And then you're like, oh my God, I'm a little rabbit and there's a lion after me and I'm going to run. Oh, isn't this fun? I mean, look at and kids that, that, the first, This is the only game I have ever played, MMO or otherwise, that has given me the shakes from, from fighting another player. It's just, that's, that's Eve. That's what makes Eve unique. And that's why I think once people get that taste, it's exactly, it's an endorphin rush. It's an adrenaline rush. I was thinking and that makes this them is... want to keep it. The other thing I will say, the other thing yeah. that drives retention is people finding corporations and making friends in the game and being social. And without that, I mean, this is not a game that's very easy to solo. And even solo players have friends and have people that they talk to. And so, so I think there's always going to be that aspect of it as well. Yep. Yep. Well, but who are the pillars of Eve that have, uh, and this may Joining be a, another one. So this, this may be a false, like, uh, impression, but I, I kind of feel like I was talking about this pre-show and this last week that a lot of um, older people that play Eve, which is why we're slanted to more older players because the complexity, but also those are the guys that are settled and have a hobby, right? A lot of people consider this a hobby. They're into collecting things, either skins or collecting published uh, published materials by CCP. Uh, those are the guys that are more stable, uh, and they're going to be around for a while because they're you know either kids are gone or their careers are established, but they have more stability than a college kid that's basically going to be gone in three years or a high school kid because he's going to college or a college kid that's basically going to be gone in a few years because he's going to be looking for a job. Like those guys are coming and going. 
so who are the are the pillars? The older guys that have like the figurines of you know D and D characters all painted up on their wall in their cabinet. Uh, are those the guys that are going to stick around? And what what do they want? I mean, from my my sort of perspective, you know, um, I'm rapidly approaching a middle aged middle aged man. I've got a career and a job that I go to, um, and this is my wind down time. But I've, over the years that I've played this game, I now have a lot of real life friends off the back of it because I'm a weird person that meets nerds off the internet. Um, Stalker. I know, right? Um, you know, we go and have beers. You look at um, a lot of the PL guys, they also do that as well. And I think th there's really never been <laughs> any game that I've ever played where you've never really had that sort of, you had to build that sort of teamwork and that social bond with other people. Um, and through that, you know, actual real friendships. Because this is what this game requires. It requires those building those long-term structures so you can do things together. And this is where we see the voting coming out of the CSM as well. All these people in their community groups that have built up over years and years of time, banding together, get bigger and bigger and bigger. And they are the people that are engaged because they have other people that are also engaged in the game as well. Like Diablo Chango here. It's funny because Chango is uh, ape in uh, Spanish. So the devil monkey. Uh, Diablo Chango says, uh, I'm retired. Uh, I am retired. Tried Eve when I was working and didn't have enough time. Uh, so now he's back to play and to stay because he's, he's retired. And that makes a lot of sense to me. A lot of people actually told me some of the oldest players that started in 2003 were basically saying, uh, well, when Eve started, I had a, a kid, and so I had to stop playing. But, you know, my kid's now, um, you know, 15, 16 years old, so I can come back to the game. Like they're, Or kids, they had young kids that have now flown the coop, and so they're able to stick or now actually come back and take their characters up and play again. One of those characters, not necessarily in this um, specific uh, case, is Cyvok. I've been talking to him, and he's like, I hope you guys keep Eve going long enough because he's still playing and he's still like, you know, changing his skills. Uh, I hope you guys uh, play long enough for me to come back because when I retire, I want to come back to something. Um, but that's the guy that built the first Titan, not the guy, but the leader of the group that did. Um, and they were like, you know, the, they're the players that we read about. But I do think that there's an arc and there's some stability in those older players. And, and uh, are they, you know, PVP first? I think they PVP a hell of a lot. I don't. Th I don't think you. You, you know, we've, we've had this conversation like you know a, a lot this week as I keep trying to back you down off that that hill that's not worth dying on. But um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, which is which is it's not about PvP first. Okay, for some people out there, it may be PvP first, PvP always, right? Um, but for the game in general, ever since its inception, okay, and all along its arc, it has always been about. Um, production destruction or destruction production how you know, whatever order you personally want to put that in right and then the continuum of things that that kind of goes on in between those right that has always been where they brought it it doesn't mean that one is more important to this game than the other because without the one you really can't have the other not in the way it's set up right where you know pretty much through the gathering and manufacturing and all that i mean i, I suppose well, they could make it a pvp only game where the, basically everything just gets sold off the market you know like by npcs but that's not the way that like the chinese server <laughs> it's basically the chinese server right well Dirk, uh, isn't that pvp though 
you're competing in other producers, trying to get your prices down, trying to put another guy out of business, basically. People people Mark make it into that. They, you know, they, they, they like to kind of apply that thing to it. And I'm not saying that in kind of, you know, uh, markets, which are, which are, you know, kind of very real world like in that thing that, that there aren't people out there trying to outcompete. But we've also had the idea, right, that, you know, if you mine your own or it's free kind of a thing, um, you know, and people who are willing to sell at a loss because they're, you know, they're doing it a different way. So you have that kind of large element of, uh, of that that sort of comes into it as well. Uh, anything, I guess, can technically be turned into the PVP concept. Um, but I don't think that that's like the PVP that we're necessarily talking about. Derek, what I'd say is if you're competing against another player, regardless of how you're doing it, that's PvP. Whether it's market, okay. whether it's in space, I mean, uh, that's how you, that's how that's how that's how I define it. So, right. okay, and, and, and that's fine. Like I said, you, you, you know, the, there is competition amongst players in a lot of different areas out there, right? Um, you know, but but I think that I think what I'm I guess what I'm trying to say is that. You, let's not pretend that everything is dominated by totally competition amongst players. Um, there are other things out there. There are other career paths that people can and do take, but the game at its core is based on this idea of, you know, production destruction and, and kind of or decay, empire building, but, you know, well, I mean, you can go well, whatever happens to decay, thing. like decay drives production too. If you let, things get weaker over time then they you have to throw them out and get a new one you know you have um that in real life right i think i'm just saying that just the, it, the rebalance cycle in eve is how decay happens your ships your fits just don't work anymore that's a good point and that's all my learning large rig drake fans out there yeah <laughs> <laughs> You guys are right. I mean, that is part of it is the fits change. And so you, you put those away. You still have them. I mean, look how much crap's coming back from null sec because stations are being rolled up. All that stuff you left behind that doesn't work anymore, uh, you, you know, is all coming back so you can liquidate it. So it's not, it's not, but it is a form of decay, right? Things progress, things change. Uh, that's a very good point. Well, well, that's the thing. I just wanted to break the coupling of PVP drives production. It does. Um, but if you look at it in that myopic view, then you're saying we need more conflict drivers and that's all we're going to focus on. And so the reason I'm alarmed is because the last CSM, which had basically the same composition as this one, was uh, the CSM arguing with CCP about you, what are you guys doing creating new stuff? You guys need to balance, 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 balance. And all that said to me was new features, mini games, and stuff that I could get good at before other people get good at it is out the window because we want to reset the table over and over again on these guys that are FCs that are basically like um, saying, look, I already solved this or we already solved this. You got to make it fresh for us. And that's where I thought a lot of the stuff was going. Uh, let me rephrase that. They were actually fix the games to fix the parts of the game that are broken, not necessarily rebalance it, but a lot of it was rebalancing. And that's what Sword Dragon was pushing quite a bit. Right. So that's, that's it. There's just the, impl the, the implied, the implied conclusion that PvP is the only thing that drives the economy and therefore interest in the game and that kind of stuff. I'm all for vampiric PvP. I think it's great. Uh, I think it's kind of unique, but um, I, I, I worry about it because I think back about other games that Brisk and I played and other guys, Star Wars Galaxies, and there was just like a ton of stuff to do to live in this world, and it wasn't all combat related. A lot of it was PvE, actually. Brings me to the last point since I seem to be the only one that cares about this topic. And that yeah. is 
that domain of uh, MMOs where you feel small in a big world seems to be taken up by games that are so big that are open world games that are solo player that you really don't need an MMO for that feeling anymore. Uh, so you can play and everybody's in character all the time. So you don't have to worry about some guy dancing with torches by the door of the cantina when you're walking in um, on, a, on a macro, which drives me crazy. Uh, games like, um, you know, Skyrim, you get that sensation of being like, it's a great big world and I can go anywhere I want. And uh, also Zelda and all these kinds of games. So maybe, maybe those are the games that kind of took a big bite out of that that crowd of MMO that wanted to play in a big world. Well, here's the thing, like, if you want a fantastic PVE experience, why not play a single player game that has literally every element of it designed to give you the best player versus computer and story experience that that developer can possibly produce. If you're playing an MMO, you're supposed to be playing against people, with or against people. That's the point. To me, that's the defining feature of it. Otherwise, why, why do it? It's a less technically, it's a less satisfying experience, except for like I guess maybe really high end group PVE content. Uh, I would much rather have the cinematic story with amazing, interesting bosses that are like really challenging and different each time, and like massive levels I can explore by myself and not have it be ruined by other people. You know, why not do that if that's available? Yeah, I think that's that that's taking part of that crowd. And the other thing is I've talked to game designers and a lot of it is right now, as you can see by the massive numbers that uh, Fortnite puts out and PUBG puts out and um, there are other uh, Battle Royale type games. Uh, you know, that's what's popular right now is action. And it just feels like CCP is definitely... Uh, developing in that direction. I mean, what's the big push and what has whoa, been whoa, the big whoa. push? Uh, yeah. How, how would you say that CCP is developing in that direction? I mean, because that is a completely different... The, the oh, I'm sorry. Battle uh, Royale. Not Battle Royale, okay. but but um, action. Arcade action, basically. Like, you know, key combination wins the, the battle kind of stuff. Uh, that, that seems to be where a lot of emphasis is on making low-sec, low-gang stuff uh, making small battles um i don't know but definitely more pvp as opposed to uh, creating a crafting system where you don't have to build a whole assembly line to do some crafting you can actually just craft something special that's just starting to happen with this um, random generation thing which is very interesting but it's still tied to a a, a, a pvp engine and stuff uh, that whole thing is actually really interesting the way they did that uh, but but what was that push make pve fun because it's terribly boring great again but whatever and that's what and this i'm never gonna say that but the <laughs> but that's what people were thinking and so now it's like well what's great pvp pve make it like pvp and that way you can bridge that gap people play pve and then play pvp it's a really long hole to go down okay yeah yeah because there, are the, two, there are the two sides of that that have to do with you know uh, should we be using PVE as as a tool for educating players on how to fit better or whatever? You know, how to fit more realistically within a world of non-consensual PVP being a possibility, right? You know, or should it always just be sort of this kind of you know humdrum game of you know you always know to fit thermal? <laughs> and and I I would argue the fact that the abyssal dead space stuff not only does it 
Yes, because there was always that big disparity between PvE and PvP and that you fit very differently for those situations. I'd say Abyssal Dead Space does encourage people to fit a bit more towards with a PvP bias. But also, I always think it's really engaging PvE content. Like, it is... And it's, it's benefited everybody. It's not been aimed specifically at one particular group or area. So everybody can access it anywhere. All you need is a filament. And it's very complex and engaging and deep PvE. And on that basis, I can't see why CCP is pushing more in the direction of just driving PvP uh, just on the back of that. All right. I think I beat the heck out of that topic. Uh, anybody else got anything on it? Alex, uh, Alex, I would love I to know. Yeah, go ahead. Based on Dirk's reaction, and maybe you, Matteroli, what if what if CCP did develop into more of a battle royale direction? Maybe that was like the Abyssal Dead Space equivalent of PvP that they wanted to throw out next year. How would you guys think about that? I, I wouldn't care if they were to put so if they were to create some sort of sensible element, right? You know that that fits within um, this generally, you know. Eve world simulator kind of a thing, right? Um, uh, I wouldn't care if they create I've never been against like arena fights. I've never been against any of that sort of thing, right? You know, as long as it fits within the greater scheme of Eve Online, which is, you know, based on their pillars and things out there, right? Uh, I, I don't think that they can necessarily do a battle royale type thing that re really fits in that Fortnite kind of PUBG sort of thing here, yeah. but maybe over in, you know, Dust 1028 that they're coming out with. Um, I forget what the name of it is now, but um, you know, they, they just had an, uh, an updated announcement about their first person shooter type thing. That might be more of that. But there's always been something that you could probably build in. There's, a, there's probably a lot of things that you could bolt onto EVE Online, literally our spaceship game, um, that would make sense if done the right way. The, what, what has to happen is people have to understand that ships are ammunition. Nova, Nova by the way. Yeah, Nova. Uh, um, ships have to be used as ammunition and you shouldn't take it personally when you lose it um, and get on to the next one. And that would create um, the, the ease of getting into player versus player uh, problems. But I forgot where I was going with this, but it was, um, tell me your question again and then I'll, I'll see if I can refocus. You're also stealing Brave's tagline originally because that's what they used to say too. What'd they say? to say ships are like ammunition just take them out and use them yeah but what was your question alec again uh how would you feel if they added a battle royale type feature maybe next year as like right. abyssal dead space equivalent for pve thank you or PvP, um, excuse me. where i was going to go with that is i feel like you need to make things more valuable uh rather than less valuable and that kind of thing is uh it, it seems like I, you know what I, i'm I'm thinking that more along the lines of what CCP Rise wanted, which was uh, permanent death stuff, you know? Like you have super valuable stuff and you have permanent death and uh, there's a lot more at stake a lot more often. Um, and, and, and so you don't have the repetitive uh, good fights culture that came in with Test. I think you guys brought it in, Test. It's all, I'm blaming it on you. Well, to answer Alex's question, I would be a little skeptical of the Battle Royale style thing because think about it this way. If you set up a, a mechanic in the game where folks do not have to go looking for PvP, they don't have to, to go roaming or any of those types of things, and you set it up so that they're just waiting to get into a queue 
to get launched into a divisal pocket and then fight 50 other guys and then whoever wins at the end is the winner. I think you're going to kill a lot of the of the organic PvP that you're going to have in the game. You're not going to have yep. folks roaming. You're not going to have uh, that type of stuff because if, if somebody just wants to go and, and do something real quick, they've got a way to do it. And and I think that that I would be very hesitant to uh, to try to push something like that. And I agree with that. And that's always been the pushback to that side of like you know whether no matter how you might set up some form of arena based combat, right? That, I mean, that, well, if you give people something that's too easy and too much fun, they might not go do this other thing that we need to have, which is predators around Eve. I mean, yeah, why, could, why don't we make that the, easy the point and fun? Of Eve. That seems like an obvious solution there. Right. <laughs> I mean, the point of Eve is that every everybody is engaging in the same game, interacting in the same universe with everybody else. And even the smallest action of, like, blapping some guy's shuttle on uh, a gate or uh, going out and ratting or mining or doing whatever you do in the game has impacts further down the line that you can never do. If you start segmenting the game, then people might as well just go play on Singularity all the time, um, which right. some people do do. Some people do <laughs> literally just log into Singularity. Yes. And, and, weird. and they go into the combat areas and then they start waving their E-peens around because they kill a Titan on there. And you're just like, what? But aren't they like scientists? They're like scientists, right? And they inform the other body of like, hey, this is how you do it. No, not necessarily. There is literally entire corporations that just do nothing but play on Singularity. That's it. They only mm -hmm. sub to EVE so they can play on the test server. And all they do is just throw ships at each other all day long. Now, getting back to the, to the point about uh, uh, Bissell Dead Space and potential for PvP there, uh, I, I, obviously, I'm not. I, I'm not a fan of the idea of a battle royale. But what I think would be fun that would not have a huge impact on roaming would be something along the lines of there's a there's a 10% or a 15% chance that anytime you enter an abyssal site that you're going to enter one that's already existing, somebody's already in, and then you can fight them, and whoever wins is the one that gets to leave. That might be cool. That might be something that we could implement that would that would give a little more PvP flavor to it, and and give you the PVE type flavor as well without having an impact on roaming or any of the other low-sec, you know, effective warfare type stuff. That's oh, I like off the top it. of my head. But, I mean, there are ideas out there that we can do to try to make the game more fun and add things that provide new content that keep things interesting for existing players as well as, you know, we can advertise to bring new players in. Right. So, okay. So, I got that off my chest. It was a, a little bit of... Um... Uh, what do you call that? Uh, executive privilege. So I wanted to talk about that issue in the C CSM. I wondered if other people had similar feelings because it seemed to be a lot of begrudging the CSM election. Some people said it's a joke now, what's proved to be a joke. And that's a lot of the stuff that I heard early on. Uh, and I was trying to figure out why. And their reasons were totally different than mine. But I did have some reservations um, just on, on looking at the composition of it. Because well, yeah, I am going to say this. Okay, you're always going to get that matter all. Okay, every year we you know, mm -hmm. we say the same thing. You know, last year it was the bitching and moaning about Nullsec, you know, having as many seats as it did. Right. This year they skipped over the whole idea about Nullsec having as many seats and went right to whoa, look at what the Imperium and goons did. Right. Um, and and the more the more apathy that builds out there due to whatever perception of these things, the more the the easier it will become to see even more of that. So we all know what the answer is to voting. It's get with enough like-minded people and vote the same way in greater numbers than anybody else. We know what the answer is to this. So it's just a matter of 
people what is actually the answer? get well the answer is like-minded people getting together and and you know forming coalitions the way that they would okay you know but chances are just like in the real we're not going to see that you're going to see dominating entities out there who are organized for other purposes continue to do that so again i don't i want to i don't i don't want to go down i don't i want to don't want to keep stretching this out into other rabbit holes that we find ourselves down because yeah. i know that that's not your intention here but we know what the answer is everybody knows what the answer is to, to, to take the response will be salad and put it into something simple just remember what president obama said don't boo vote that's what he's saying all right i'll let you get away with that platitude but normally we like to punch holes in that kind of stuff <laughs> although it, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not talking politics. I'm talking uh, common wisdom. Uh, we're looking for uncommon wisdom. And Dirk, um, we won't go down the rabbit hole, but you said something very interesting. Okay, I won't bring it up. I won't bring it up. But this is what the discussion is like on Discord. Uh, so this is what we talk about. When you see us in chat channels, jump in. You can lurk if you want. Just listen to the people talking or you can participate. Uh, look for TIS Discord. And uh, with that, I do want to go into some program notes and then wrap out the show. Uh, and that is, if you look at Discord, we've had um, some changes where we have real-life channels, uh, so you can talk about other things, you can create your own channels. Uh, so Discord is really kind of being given over to the people who populate it. Uh, and so that's how you can, that's, uh, if you're not a part of TIS Discord, you should uh, definitely join so you can be part of the conversation. Check in on news, whatever breaks, we just drop it in there uh, and that kind of stuff. In fact, the whole creature thing broke on TIS. Um, you know, yes, somebody did. we were in contact with him. He creature came over and said, I've just been banned or I, I've just been barred from running for CSM. We recorded a conversation with it. We held it because we didn't want to put that out. Uh, he was fine with it being, being put out, but we didn't think it was appropriate uh, in the middle of an election because CCP actually, actually at that point, CCP had not barred him. They had just, uh, uh, PL had just posted the thing that got him barred. It wasn't PL. It was players that happened to be from Pandemic. Oh, I, I'm not buying that line. <laughs> that well, I, I have no idea if we've confirmed whether or not it was a higher Who's level conspiracy. PL? PL right now is whoever's active, right? And Harvey's super active. So, And it wasn't him, well, but it was his court. Well, but yeah, to be clear, it wasn't the, CCP didn't ban him because PL asked him to. CCP no. banned him because of what he did. And what he did was, so people who don't know and want to get caught up, the controversy was that he had an altercation with somebody else and some racial slurs were used like two or three times. Uh, we won't say what they were, but you can imagine. And that was recorded inside of the logs. And that was what was republished a few months ago by PL, by Penis Smash. And that didn't really catch fire because nothing really happened and Creature wasn't running for office at the time. But that was resurrected right in the middle of the voting week and plopped down and CCP was called to look at it. And so when they looked at it, uh, they basically had to say, yeah, you can't, you can't finish out this uh, candidacy. So that's what happened to him and he got derailed. But that all broke here on uh, Talking In Stations Discord. So that's the kind of stuff that can happen um, you know, when people are around posting things in channels and stuff. Again, that's what's going on with Talking In Stations Discord. Uh, and also what I wanna do uh, is Pick, pick uh, people from the Discord to be on the show. I think that's what we're going to try to do. So if you're not in TIS Discord, uh, you have less of a chance of getting on. I want to find new people, hear new voices in EVE, not just the uh, people who are well-established and uh, famous or anything like that. We want to we get a diversity of content uh, for you guys. Um, so 
yeah. So that's how you'll do it. You're on Discord and you're active and talking and stuff. We'll take notice and we'll say, hey, this guy's, let's talk to this guy. He sounds like he knows stuff. So that's how you do it. Uh, yeah, Brisk, you're now part of the uh, establishment. Part of the establishment? I you're I part of the establishment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is that we have some great new people. Uh, Artemis being one of them who's helping us out uh, by guiding uh, a lot of conversation that has to do with news and NullSec. Um, we've uh, asked uh, Hugh from NER to help us out with some reports that's going on and stuff. So you can see that the show is changing because we're able to, to uh, bring new people in to give you better content all the time. One of those other things that we're doing is um, we've hired some staff to actually structure the show and to run the show. And that is um, January Valentine, who is now the producer. And so she'll put together the shows and contact people and get them arranged. And uh, Sarah Sharp, who's our new like director, and she run, stage manages the show as it goes on. And she's super mad at me for making this one run long. So I'll have to wrap it up quick. Um, but the other thing that that's allowed us to do, to have these people helping us out and doing a great job at it, is to take a lot of pressure off trying to put these shows together and figure out what they are. Uh, so we're going to spin off a lot of stuff to midweek and have even more content. And that's stuff like conversations and interviews, like the one we did with Sort Dragon not long ago. Interview with old players that can bring some perspective um, or deep dives into topics. So we may have three or four shows on uh, regions and just talk about regions and what their personalities are. We'll talk about corporations, what their personalities are. All the stuff that really takes experienced players to be able to interpret for uh, medium players. Uh, and so that is called uh, Conversations, and you can catch that on this same RSS for uh, Talking in Stations. And um, the last one we had was a look at Lumio, which was kind of funny, but before that we talked about um, a wormhole, a wormholer's group experience with Sov, and that was a very interesting article with two very experienced players. Um, and so the last thing is I was listening to old shows, and we ended up, uh, I was kind of embarrassed to listen to it and hear all the just technical problems we've had with it. So uh, one of the greatest things we did is get McLeod up here to help us uh, push all the buttons and engineer the show. And it's become a lot better since then. We also replaced mics and, uh, um, you know, just we, we constantly play with technology to figure out how we can do the show better for you. All that stuff is a function of the funding that has been generally, generously given to us two, three, four, five dollars at a time uh, by the people who listen to this podcast. So I encourage you to join them uh, through Patreon. That's how we accept money. And through PayPal, you can find both those through talkinginstations.com. Uh, why is that important? Because all the money goes, it's reinvested into the experience. Um, there's no media empire but it does improve equipment and it proves process and it gives us a chance to pay for technology that helps uh, make the show a better experience for you. So I encourage you to do that. It's, it's not fun asking for funding and it's not just for talking in stations, but also uh, declarations of war or uh, mind clash or any show that you listen to. Open comms. Oh yeah, open comms. I'm not worried about those. They get drunk money, which is huge money. Uh, but yeah, open comms, and 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 think about that. That you're consuming stuff that takes a lot of effort to put out. We like to put it out as players, but there are some hurdles that we need to jump over to make it less painful to do it. All right, and the last thing I want to talk about 
we're going to start advertising. Uh, not necessarily on the podcast, but if you have FanFest videos um, or, uh, you know, any stream videos that you prepared for FanFest or for eVegas or the Alliance Tournament, you guys are welcome to give them to us. Uh, and for a small, relatively speaking, uh, fee for ISK, we want to um, put those on before the show uh, and maybe even take a break in the middle of the show. We haven't decided yet and after the show and stuff like that. So we're going to start doing advertising for you guys to do your recruiting for your corporations uh, on this show. So think about that. And um, those are all the program notes I had. I gave you that update because we have not done an update uh, in a very, very long time. And things are changing thanks to uh, some of our Patreons. And I would like to point out our top Patreons um, who give us 25 bucks a month, which is fantastic. And that is Ingress. Kaldura, Skeptic Nerd Guy, Victor Kuroka, and Whimsical. These are our champions. They're pulling a lot of weight. They're pulling a lot of your weight. So think about uh, giving to the podcasts and the groups that you like support. Right. I am drunk from talking. <laughs> it's time, time to do some events. On your own words. Yeah, events. Uh, yeah, Tiberius, do you have anything to say about that? Events. I do. Um, so, uh, just covering off, I'm uh, just got poked by a good friend of mine, uh, Joseph Barnacle, who runs uh, Eve Dublin. Uh, Eve Dublin is a fantastic event. There's like uh, 20 or 30 people that usually go to it. It's on August 31st and September 1st. You can find out more information about that event um, at www.evedublin.com. Um, there are tickets available to purchase there that help go towards like prizes and all sorts of raffles and things like that they do on, on, at that event. Um, it's long running. It's been going for a long time. If you're in Ireland and you're a, or you're able to get to Dublin, um, go check out the website. Uh, again, that's uh, evedublin.com, and it's on August 31st and September 1st. Um, but also there are a couple of other events that are coming up. We've got um, the big one for the guys in the Southern Hemisphere, which is Eve Down Under on the 29th of June. Uh, that's in Sydney, and it's at the Darling Quarter Theatre in Darling Harbour. Um, it's a fantastic venue. It's uh, run by my good friend, Bam Stroker, who also, when I posted pictures on Facebook of me and him together, was also my mother's long lost son. Um, then we've also got uh, the a Lithuania meet, which is a very first one, which is happening on the 29th of June. Um, I can't pronounce those names, but it's Benilis, I guess. Uh, that's on the 29th of June. Uh, and that's at the Vico Grazer's Bar and Grill. Uh, then Houston's meeting up again on the 30th of June. Uh, and we've all at the King's Head Pub, which is their normal haunt. Uh, and then we've got a meet that's happening in Poland on the 13th of July as well. Uh, you can find out all the information about those events uh, at evemeet.net. Uh, go check them out if you're in those in that part of the world. But uh, yeah, go and have a look at Eve Dublin as well because uh, that's a great meet yeah, for those guys that live around in and around the UK and Ireland. I, I can't recommend Eve Down Under enough. I actually flew there for it once. Choice. Eve Down Under is amazing. Meetup. Yeah, it's such a good meet. Um, but they don't need much promoting because they will still pull a couple of hundred people <laughs> every single time. That's awesome. You know, one of the things that if, if, if we get more funding uh, is I want to buy Tiberius a light so I can see his face. It's kind of dark. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say definitely go out. No, no. 
I, I just want to I just want to throw this out there real quick. Uh, definitely go out to evemeat.net uh, because you will be able to find other ones. It sounded like he just did a bunch of you know European ones there, but we've also got Eve Northeast that's coming up in August, um, which is a multi-day event uh, that is now going to be up around Albany, New York, I think. Uh, there's also one that's going to be out in Rhode Island. I think it's called, uh, you, you can actually see this at www.neonri.com, I think. Uh, it's the old TempleCon event that they are having in EVE Player Meet associated with. So just other things to look out for. Definitely. All right. Well, that looks like we've reached the end of a show. We went back to 90 minutes because we had a lot of self-indulgent talk uh, from from us which is fine because I think this is good content. Uh, let, let us know if you think it is or if it, you think it is not. Uh, but I would like to thank uh, the people that showed up today, um, Brisk and uh, Q and Alex, and of course, uh, Billy and Garst. If you can tell, I'm, I'm actually doing this from memory. That's why I'm, I'm pausing. There should be a list to look at. But also want to help uh, uh, thank staff, um, Dirk and uh, Tiberius, and of course, Artemis who helped us out with the first segment. Thanks for taking that on. Okay, let's wrap this up. Uh, we will see you next week on Talking In Stations. Thank you for showing up for this week. <laughs>